You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. And we're doing a short little series, turning in the new year, we're going to begin going through the book of 1 John. But before we do that, I thought it would be nice to take kind of a two, three, four week break and uh, really focus on Jesus. The truth of the matter, all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. You really can't open a page that doesn't uh, address or speak into God's plan of redemption and salvation through his son Jesus. But I like to not ever go too far from coming back specifically to Jesus himself. So we're going to look what I'm calling uh, a a little series I'm calling Behold the King. And this morning we're going to look at the prophecy of that predicted in the book of Isaiah, the coming of a savior, the coming of the Christ child. And tonight we'll look at him actually coming. And next week we'll talk about Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And then the fourth week we'll talk about actually his return as the coming king again. And so uh, this morning, as we think about Jesus and the Bible predicts about uh, the coming of Jesus, it really is a a message of, of hope. You know, hope is something that we all need in doses. Hope is something that we all go through life, right? And we face struggles and we face trials. We face the stresses and strains of life. And most of them aren't too bad. Would, would we, you know, if you step back, most of them aren't so bad. But along the way, we run into some that are more stressful than others, that our challenges are greater than others. A problem is even bigger than normal. And if we're not careful, when that begins to hit, we begin to get discouraged, disillusioned. And if we lose hope in the middle of that, hope that just, well, this isn't going to end. How am I going to make it through this? If we're not careful, it can become crushing down upon our soul. We're told that this season, the holiday season and thereafter is the time where people, especially suicide rates go up and hospitalizations and a hopelessness can settle in into people's souls. And so this morning, I want to talk with us about how do we find hope? How do we find hope day in and day out and keep our eyes fixated? So take on Jesus. So if you will, turn with me to the, with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, Isaiah 9. And we're going to look at Jesus. When Jesus was predicted that he would come, that there would be a, a Savior, that there would be a, a one that would bring uh, salvation, that there would be a child that would be born, that would be a complete game changer to the world order. Isaiah was writing to the people of Israel. Their backstory is that they were in sin. In fact, they had pursued idols. In fact, in, in due time, they had sacrificed their own children to idolatry, literally put them to death, burned them alive in order to venerate and to honor these false gods. And God, being a God of purity, a God of holiness, a God of righteousness, hated all of that. And he said, guys, I told you before that I will make you my children. I will make you my people. And if you follow me, I will bless you. But when you turn your back on me, you're going to have problems. In fact, there will be a conquering enemy that will come. And so Assyria is literally knocking on the door and is about to come and conquer the northern part of Israel But before that happens and before they enter into a generation uh, of oppression and and of poverty and and, uh, just despair, God gives them a ray of hope, something to hold on to in the middle of that darkness. So read with me, if you will, 
this the backstory to the coming of our Lord. Look in verse 1 of chapter 9. The Bible says, in, in the, I'm starting partway through, In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of, of Naphtali. Those were two tribes of Israel, and the, they were north of the Sea of Galilee, if you know the, the geography at all of Israel. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot and of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here's the verse we know. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called four things, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. For us, we take this as kind of a more of a normal thing, but it was shocking to them to the degree that people would have said, how in the world is this going to be possible? And look what the Bible says. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's how it's possible. Pray with me, would you? Father, we are grateful this Christmas season to celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus. And Father, we're excited. The kids are especially excited of just all the, festivity, the festivities and the gifts and the celebrations and the family and all of that. And Father, uh, but we are grateful as a church body and as a family for the greatest gift of all of the Lord Jesus, the gift that you brought into this dark world, the ray of light that has shined, that you have made him the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to to this morning to be sharpened, to be encouraged and challenged, to find hope, hope in the middle of wherever we are in life, continuously in your Son. Thank you for the salvation that you bring. Thank you for the hope that we have daily through him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, hopelessness can be a very difficult thing. We talk often about faith and talk often about love and joy, and we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. But hope is something that the Bible is full of. And as I read these verses this morning, and honestly, I was just kind of picturing a, picturing a broad, sweeping little series about predicting of Jesus coming and then talking about his actual coming and then talking about what he did and then talking about his coming again so that we just kind of have a, a, a quick span over Jesus' life. As I looked at these verses and read them over and over again this week, uh, the, the word that just so, that is not in this passage, but it's just so clear to me that what God is giving Israel is hope. Hope in the middle of extreme bleakness. You see, they had been disobedient to God and they were about to be conquered by a foreign invader and 
Men and women and children are about to be killed. Uh, the greatest issue in their life was not about to be, you know, wonder if I got that Christmas present that I wondered under, wanted under the tree. Their greatest issue of life is I'm wondering if I'm going to see my mom again. I'm, I'm wondering if I'm going to see my family again. And the, the intense poverty and the, the loss of hope and the sense of loneliness and isolation and all of that darkness that is about to generationally cave in. I don't mean just a, a day or two. I don't mean Monday blues or I, I mean a generation of walking in darkness. Before all of that settles, before the king of Syria comes marching in with all of his armies, God gives them an amazing message of hope. It's almost as if he goes and he takes a big stake and he pounds it in the sand and the dirt and says, in the middle of the darkness, I want you to know that there is hope. So this morning, I want us to recognize that hope believes, it trusts in the promises of God, even in the darkness. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. What's amazing is they're not even in darkness yet. God is giving them a promise of hope, a promise of a future, a, province, a promise of deliverance, a promise of sunshine in the middle of the darkness and the coldness, a promise of warmth and heat and of life in the middle of death. And they haven't even yet experienced the darkness. God is giving them a promise, something that they should cling to, that they should hold on to in the middle of the despair, in the middle of the confusion, in the middle of all of the questions, in the middle of all of the, the nagging concerns, in the middle of all of the worries and the anxieties, in the, the middle of all of that, the depressions we might even say. God says, I am a God of hope and you can trust me, but believe my promises. When you and I fall into those moments and let's be honest, they can, they hit, they kind of, if you're like me, I kind of fall into the ditch before I realize it. And, and I realize like, why am I not, why am I not trusting God? Why am I despairing a little bit right now? Why am I worrying? Why do I act as if there is no hope going on in my life? I fall into those moments. So whether or not it's one of those little, as life goes on through the week that you fall into those things, or whether you begin walking into a season that there's this big rock in front of you that you're wondering, how is this going to get moved? How am I going to make it through? How is this going to change in my life? Is this going to be my new normal? Is this, can I be doing this in 20 years from now? I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to live with this. And you and I, if we're not careful, we fall into those times of darkness and those moments. The clouds begin to cave in and the 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 closet, you know, the darkness begins to surround and seep into us. And I want you and I to realize that when that begins to happen, that you and I need to focus very clearly on the promises of God in the middle of that. We make a mistake and we do it time and time again as people that we begin to, we focus on all of the, 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 the darkness and all that's going wrong and all of that. And what God was saying, even though this is coming, pay attention. I want your focus to be here. I want your focus to know that light is coming. I am still God in the middle of the darkness. Put, fix your eyes, pay attention to the hope. Now, we later on, we know that this is Jesus. 
We know in the book of Matthew, Matthew tells us, in fact, complete fulfillment. He's even telling, he, he, the Bible is predicting that Jesus would be hanging out in Galilee more than Jerusalem and Judea. The area beyond the sea to the north, or beyond the Jordan River to the north, north of the sea in the area of Galilee is where Jesus lived. That's where Nazareth was. That's where Mary and Joseph settled down after they came back. He may have been born in Bethlehem, but after they came back from Egypt, he was raised there. And that's where he did most of his ministry. That's where his first miracle in Cana was. That's where he walked on the water. That's where he fed the 5,000. That's where so much of his teaching happened that God was shining a bright light to the middle there, in the middle of, of, uh, of that region, God was predicting and promising that Jesus would absolutely be there. For you and for me, that means for us to have hope. It takes a tremendous amount of faith to believe the very truths and words of an almighty God. You see, God has given us promises in this book. He's given us, it is a treasure chest of all kinds of promises that speak into our life that speak into our world, that are there to, to give us not just meaning, but to address the, the, the sense of hopelessness or the lack of hope in the middle of whatever we're going through. Whether you lose your job and in that moment, you know, at, at night, just saying, what am I going to do if it's Christmas and bills are coming due and we, in that time, we begin to lose hope. God, God's Word addresses those things. God says, I will take care of you. I will provide. Scripture is filled with so many promises and you and I have to consciously, intentionally not focus on the darkness around, but rather focus on the light. Have you ever gone out at night and gone on a long journey, maybe through the woods or, you know, hiking or someplace? I mean, you just, you can't, especially if it's, if it's not a starry night or it's cloudy, you know, it's as if you and I cannot see anything around. Have you ever been in the woods at night? I mean, it's really quiet. If there's no wind and if there's not other people around, there's a, there's an, there can be an incredible sense of isolation uh, that can just settle into your soul. And God was saying, but there's a light on the horizon. I want you to focus on that. Don't focus on all of this. Focus on the light that I have in front of you. We're told today that, let me give you an example we're told today that loneliness is at an increasingly at an epidemic level in, in probably not just the U.S., but probably the world over, certainly the connected world. It's so amazing. We're, we're more connected than ever, but we're more disconnected as people. Uh, we're more connected to all of the gadgets and all of the information and all of the stuff. And we can go, I think I went out to a restaurant a week or so ago, and there was a table. It was, it was family. It was mom and dad and kids. I think there was... I think they were grandparents or other relatives. And, you know, they're, they're sitting here at a fun, meant to be an interactive experience, and the kids were watching a video on a little tablet or something, and mom and dad had their phones out, and everybody was ignoring each other, and they were doing this kind of thing. And I'm just like, wow, it's amazing. Connect, disconnected. Loneliness is at such an epidemic level. They're beginning to study it medically, I'm told, uh, some scientific studies have been done that, that chronic loneliness in your life literally is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's like literally it just begins to suck the life out of you. Have you how many of you have ever stepped on a Lego before? Home Alone, right? Classic Christmas movie, you know? 
It's interesting, neurologists have studied the area of the brain that feels that pain when you step on a Lego that, you know, that lights up and that feels that pain. Loneliness, the pain of loneliness is every bit as palpable and it lights up that exact same region in your brain. It is a tangible, bona fide, real pain in the soul. Science knows it, but we know it as people, as Christians of God's book. You see, we know the answers behind all of this, guys. God made us for relationship. He made us for relationship with Him. He didn't make us to live in isolation. He didn't make us to live in loneliness. He made us for relationship with one another. And so when we think about the pain of that, we think about the hopelessness. Some of you don't feel the loneliness. You may have felt it in the past. Maybe you don't feel it now. Maybe you've not felt it that much. But for some, it is... It is painful, and it provides day in and day out a hopelessness because of the loneliness that comes crushing down and weighing in on your soul. So think with me, how do we address that? Whenever you are feeling pain, don't you want that specific spot taken care of? I mean, if you were a kid and skinned this knee, you didn't go to your mom and say, would you kiss this one? You know, put the Band-Aid over here. You're like, no, right? Right here, Mom. You know, this is what I wanted. If your back's hurting you, you're like, Can, you know, you want that part to be worked out and to be rubbed or whatever, that specific spot. Well, God's Word is that same way. When you and I are experiencing the, the pains or the, the hopelessness in the specific area of our life, we want, that is the area that needs to be addressed. And that's the promises that we need to go to God's Word for and look for those answers. Be careful. You should be reading God's Word more than just for pain relief, all right? Do you need to take more in your body besides ibuprofen and medicine? Hello, it's good to have some carrots and peas and meat and other good things to feed your body, right? You ought to be reading God's Word because it feeds your soul, it teaches you truth, it, it helps you grow in your relationship with God. But it also is the source. When you have those life questions and those pain points and those things going on that you know, say, wait a minute, what's the answer to this? God's Word is one that's filled with promises that are there to address a specific need. So how does that apply Like when it comes to something like loneliness? We go to God's Word that says, we're not alone. That says, God who promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The God's Word that says, I have adopted you when you... Surrender your life to me, and, and I receive you as my child. You are my kid. I send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. You have a relationship with me that is real and vital. Well, Sean, I know that, but, but God's not flesh and blood. I'm not, I'm, I don't feel him. So hold on. Know that in that moment when you're lonely, you need to say, God, thank you that I'm not alone. Don't blow by that. God, help me to sense your presence. Help me to walk in that. So you address, you take God's Word and you address it into your soul. Then you go and say, but God, why do I struggle so much? Or why don't I have friends or more connections elsewhere? Because then when we look at the rest of Scripture, God puts us in a family. If He makes me His kid and He makes you His kid, that makes us brothers and sisters, right? That puts us in a, together in a family. God means for our relationships to be in a community. And then you begin exploring in Scripture and seeing the kind of relationships where there is a love and a service and a commitment and a compassion and a deep-found relationship that God means us for to, ex to experience. Then you should be saying, well, God, why am I not feeling that? Now, here's where we've got to be careful. Because very often we can look around and say, 
well, other people just aren't caring about me. And in actuality, what we need to say is, wait a minute, I need to take responsibility. There may be a little bit of truth in that, but I need to take responsibility. God, and we need to ask Him those questions, we need to go to Scripture and look for the answers. God, why am I not moving forward in those relationships? God, would you reveal that to me? And he began digging in a little bit more and thinking through a little bit more. Well, God, maybe because I got hurt in a relationship in the past, I'm just not, I've got kind of a wall there. I'm a little nervous to get close to people. I've been hurt too many times. Oh, now we can get to some of the issues. That's where God says, yeah, you need to forgive and you need to experience my healing love and you need to be willing to trust that even in the middle of it, yeah, you're going to get hurt again, but you need to trust me and to walk into those relationships. Maybe you grew up in a family that, that struggled with that. Some families have great relationships and everybody knows how to relate well and other families tend to be not so much. I'm convinced along the way, maybe there was a grandparent that got hurt terribly and who just, or just had anger and all kinds of stuff in their life and it poured out into you, into your life or your parents' life and they get poured out to you and now here you are trying to glue life together and what you're dealing with is not even just your own stuff, but you're dealing with generational family stuff down through. And God says, look, I'm bigger than all of that. Trust me. Learn to grow and walk with me. And so you begin to put yourself into those situations where you serve, where you begin to love and you begin to care and you begin to, to allow God to work in your heart and to do the things that God says. And before you know it, when you're around people and you are serving them and you begin connecting with them, God begins changing you. And God begins removing some of the loneliness out of your heart and out of your soul. You see, God's Word, ultimately, guys, is what we need. And by the way, that's not counseling or therapy. We all can go to counselors and therapists and people to help us deal with past stuff. But do you know what we just did? That's just Bible discipleship. That's just us seeing what God taught us in Scripture, going to it, believing those things is true, and then acting on them. It's applied theology, if you will. You see, what God wants us to do is to believe truth, but not just know it, but actually act upon it and let it affect our life. So if you're in a, in a moment of despair that pops into your heart and in your soul, God, how, how, this is, how am I going to do this? God, I'm going to lose this. When jealousy begins to grip your soul, here's what you do. Jealousy always involves a sense of loss, that you're going to lose something. And sometimes when that jealousy grips your soul, you can't get free of it. It is like a boa constrictor that just wraps itself around you and you're assailed by those thoughts and those feelings and that sense of loss. You're in pain. So you go to Scripture and you say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you that you're enough. I trust you that you're not going to forsake me. Forgive me for that jealousy. I can't get rid of this. I don't want it, but I'm jealous. God, would you help me to get past that? God, I trust you. I call upon you to be my Lord and my God and to just walk with you in the middle of that. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the grips of all kinds of thoughts and assailing 
things in my heart and my soul and temptations and junk and funk and garbage and just simply stopping in that moment, even when the, those feelings and those thoughts are running amok and I can't even feel like I can grab them, that I just begin in that darkness to stop and say, God, forgive me. I trust you. And I take the truth of God's word and I take that almost like medicine, if you will. And God does something amazing that he heals, he forgives, and he changes that. Very often, it's instantaneous. I've experienced that many, many times where it's gone. Other times, there's a process. Other times, it's something I have to keep coming back to and wrestle through. And I can't tell you why it's one way or the other. I like it when it's fast. Everybody here like instantaneous anything in life? I do. I don't like it when it drags on. Sometimes it really does for weeks and months. But I can tell you this, it's the same process either way that God wants to give us hope in the middle of that moment of hopelessness when we're in the grips of sin or temptation or oppression by all of that garbage. He wants to give us hope. Second thing I want you to notice about hope. Not only does it have to focus in on the truth, the promises of God in the middle of the darkness, but when hope becomes realized, when we experience that hope to the fullest degree, it always produces and leads to joy. Always. Look what verse 3 says. These are predictions. This is bona fide prophecy, predicting what's happening in the future that is not here yet. You have multiplied the nation. This is huge. You see, the nation is about to be in disarray, totally at risk of being completely destroyed. They're focusing on surviving, not thriving, and now they're looking up and saying, oh my goodness, God has multiplied us. We didn't just hold, th survive, we thrived. You have increased its joy. You just didn't give us some, but you multiplied it. They rejoice before you. As with the joy at the harvest, as, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And here's why. The yoke of his burden... and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What God is promising is, guys, there's a time coming that I'm going to break the authority, the yoke that is around your neck of what you're experiencing. It will come crashing down around the enemy, and you are going to be free. Because the hope that I want you to have will ultimately lead to that day of victory and that time and that moment of joy in your life. To help them to get that, he points to an event in the, the earlier in the Bible when he mentions the word Midian. Do you see that in verse, what verse is that? In verse 4, just like when God delivered Israel with Gideon. The Bible says that there were so many people from Midian, it was like the sand of the sea. The camels were innumerable. And the, the people could not be counted. Keep in mind, God knows how to count really well. He's got an entire book in the Bible called Numbers. In that same chapter, they counted 120,000 people. So if God can count up to 120,000, and this next group is innumerable, we're probably talking somewhere in the million people plus range, all right? We're talking a lot of people. And there were 22,000 Jews that showed up to fight against the Midianites. And God said, it's too many. And you know, the, most of you know the story, and God peeled away more and more until they got down to 300 
people to fight against, let's say, a million, innumerable numbers, and they literally won the day. Something that was absolutely impossible. You see, you and I, when we face those moments, I'm not saying that every moment of your life is that way, but we all face moments of hopelessness where we don't see that there's any solution at all, that we're stuck, that this situation is going to continue like this forever. It's like there are a million enemies against us and we're one person. And God says, I'm going to give victory in your life, but you've got to have hope. And when that hope continues through, that victory produces incredible joy. I was sick uh, most of the week. I think I ate some bad food. I was literally, it took me four days to feel normal. I didn't start feeling normal again until Friday. And somebody actually, I will leave her nameless, said, Sean, are you ever normal? Actually, she said, you ever feel normal? But um, I didn't start feeling normal until Friday. And so my, my mode when I am not feeling it well at all, I just, I want to watch movies. No new movies, because I can't follow them. I want to watch movies to just numb my brain a little bit and distract me from the pain that I can somewhat stay with. And so I watched, one of the ones that we watched this week was Apollo 13. How many of you have ever seen that? It was a young Tom Hanks, okay? Uh, young millennials, if you haven't seen it, you really need to watch it. So it's like true, legit superhero movie, but humans, not out, you know, outlandish alien stuff. The story is, you know, it was going to be the NASA's third moon landing back in 1970. It was going to be the third time they were going to land on the moon. And they send these three guys up in the rocket, and, uh, and it was way before the space shuttle days. And on day two and a half, they had a routine that they're supposed to stir the tanks to stir the oxygen up so they could get a better reading on it. When they did, an explosion happened so bad that the astronauts thought that they hit a meteor. I mean, this is not like a car. You just don't pull over in outer space and get out and, you know, do a walk around and like what was going on. They didn't know what was happening, but all of a sudden just, I mean, the whole vibration and the noise and oxygen begins. They see stuff leaking out of your, the spaceship. It cannot be a comfortable feeling when you look out your little window in the spaceship and see stuff leaving, you know, and you're literally 100 plus thousand miles from home in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it just... That cannot at all be a comfortable feeling. Battery begins to drain. I think the number one and three batteries begin to drain and go to zero. And they're just like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Crazy, crazy kinds of things that began happening. And all of a sudden they realized they're not going to be able to not only land on the moon, but they're going to be doing well just to get back in one piece. And all they had to end up going into, in that time, they had a little rocket that would get them into space, and they were going to kind of orbit the moon, and then they'd send down a little uh, landing uh, craft, and the two guys would walk on the moon, and then it would come back to that one. And that, that little landing craft, they had to do a special maneuver to capture it in space when they weren't supposed to. That became their life raft. And to save oxygen, to save water, to save power, they had to shut down their whole command module. So here they are, not only in, in space in the middle of nowhere, they had to shut down all of their systems, all of the heat, because they were running out of battery, and if they didn't have enough juice to get back home, they, they would never make home at all. So they went through day after day in the darkness and no lights going on. They had no heat. It was like 39 degrees because they're drinking so little water. One of the astronauts gets a urinary tract infection. He's fevered. He's terrible. Uh, CO2 level begins building up. And the, the great engineers had two different 
filters going on for the two different spacecraft. One of them was a square, the other one was a circle, and they literally had to jerry-rig and duct tape this thing together to make everything work. I mean, it's ridiculous. Meanwhile, you're flying through the air at 17,000 you know, miles per hour or whatever, something insane. Now, how do you think their families had to have felt back home knowing all that was going on? How do you think the people felt knowing that when they come back into re-entry, that, that the heat that was going to be on those shields would be 3,000 degrees, traveling 17,000 miles an hour, and they had to hit it just right? And oh, by the way, that explosion, we still don't know what happens. And maybe it damaged some of our heat shields, and if it damaged the heat shields, we're going to blow up, just like the Space Shuttle Columbia did later on. Can you imagine how the families felt? And, and then the crazy, I mean, this is true TV, this is not TV drama. When those spaceships were coming back in, they could talk to NASA up until the time when that heat really began to rebuild and they were kind of coming back into the atmosphere, and then they couldn't communicate. Normally, it's about three or four minutes. It took them over six minutes for reentry. Can you fathom? Can you fathom what you would be like as a mom if that was your kid in that that spacecraft once minute four hit and you don't hear them and you don't hear them and you don't hear them and you're like, oh my goodness. Because there, be no, there would be no noise that people would hear because it's way up in the atmosphere. You just would assume that your kid just burned up. Can you imagine the pain and the pit of your stomach and the worry and the awfulness? And then all of a sudden to hear their voices to come through and that they made it, the jubilation and the joy of that? See, that's what God is telling Israel here. He's saying, guys, in the middle of the bleakness and the awfulness and the darkness and the difficulty, you have to keep hope in me. And that when you keep your hope in me, there will always be joy in the end. God will always produce that joy, and that joy comes through the victory. See, you and I make the mistake when we fixate on the darkness and all of the problems. Instead, we need to fixate and put our eyes upon the source of our hope. And he points in the next point that I want to make out to you is the source of that hope is Jesus. Look at verse, at verse uh, 5, verse 6. He explains to us this hope comes through a child. A child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You see, this hope that God brings in our life is not accident. Many people go through life thinking that, well, it's just probably going to work out. You know, it'll, it'll all work out. I'll get a job. It'll work out. My health will be okay. It'll work out. My kids will straighten out. It'll, it'll, just, it'll probably all work out because it hopefully always does. Now, this is a different kind of hope. This is not a happenstance kind of hope. This is a willful decision of a God in heaven who is all-powerful, all-loving, who says, I'm giving you hope because I'm giving you a child, not just any child, but I'm giving you my son, the Lord of heaven and earth, and he is going to rule and reign over this world, and of his government there will be no end. You see, our hope and our future comes through Jesus Christ only. See, for you and I to have real hope in life, even in the tangible, practical things that we've been talking about, that hope can only come through Jesus. It can't come in any other way of life. Impossibility. Truth of the matter is, is you may not get another job. 
Truth of the matter is that your health may not straighten out. Truth of the matter is your kid may not make it. Truth of the matter is there's all kinds of things that can happen in a world. We can get in car accidents on the way home. Awful things happen in a messed up world. But our hope is not in any of those things. It's not in the, the medical sciences or any of that. Our hope is in a God in heaven who loves us and who sent his son Jesus Christ who will rule and reign over this world and our relationship through with Him means that everything else will absolutely be okay. You see, look at what His work is. He's a wonderful counselor. The names tell us what He will do. He's an, an amazing, an astounding, a fantastical, a wonderful counselor full of wisdom, full of guidance, full of knowledge. You and I, we face hopelessness when we get into those spots where we don't know what's going to happen, what we need to do, paralyzed. When we get stuck in our own emotions, stuck in our own thoughts, stuck in our own situations, stuck in our own sins, stuck in our own addictions, stuck in our own world. And God says, I've got the wonderful counselor for you who will guide you, who will navigate you, who will speak truth into your life, who will give hope that will sink and settle into your soul, that will change your life if you will simply but trust Him. I've got a son who is the Almighty God, who is the, not only the wonderful counselor, but who is the mighty God, the powerful ruler of this universe, the God who spoke this world into existence. I'm giving Him to you as my gift. That child is the one who is there to work powerfully in your life, to work powerfully in your situations, to work powerfully in your world. You and I begin to lose hope when we don't see God working and like, God, I went to bed with this problem and this problem's still there. Aren't you going to do anything? God says, I, I, I know. I got a purpose and a plan that you know not of. You see, hope trusts in the power of God. That no matter how bad the chips are, how down the chips are, that God will always come through in your life and in my life. Oh, He may not always give us what we exactly want, but He will always take care of us. He'll always guide and provide, and He will always do what's best in every situation for our good and for the benefit of what He's doing in the world. Always. And He is unbelievably powerful. You and I must put our hope in a God who saves and a God who changes. Not only is He a, a wise counselor, an amazing counselor, not only is He all-powerful, but He's the everlasting Father. He's the, 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 the source of everything that is everlasting. When you and I put our hope in anything other than God, it always falls flat, does it not? Always. If you're not feeling good, there's several go-to things that people do. They tend to go shopping. You tend to eat. Um, if I'm not careful, I web surf. I'll watch videos online if I'm not feeling so good and I just want a, my brain to check out. It's another way of medicating. We all have our little go-to things, right? Pornography can be that for some people. But none of that is everlasting. All of that can provide a moment of relief, a moment of feel good, if you will. And all of it is a substitute for what really changes our soul and our life, and that's God Himself. He alone is the everlasting Father. He alone provides what's lasting, 
what is impactful, what is by nature eternal. He alone is our hope. So God has given us that as well, and he's given us his son as the Prince of Peace to bring peace into our life. One of the greatest things that we all desire is, is peace, and the peace is more than just absence of turmoil, absence of uh, aggravation, absence of headache, absence of hardship. That's a part of it for sure, but peace goes beyond that. This peace that God gives and what the Bible talks about is God's blessing into our life. So God wants to bring a blessing into our soul. That first and foremost starts by delivering us from our own sins and our own devices. See, what astounds me about this whole passage is the reason that the people are in darkness, it's their own fault. They're the ones in sin. They're the ones in darkness. They're the, they put themselves in that spot. And God is still so gracious to them that he's reaching down and giving them hope, even all the while that he's about to punish and judge them deeply for what's going on in their life. If we could take time to read the rest of chapter 9, God says, hey, I'm the one behind the Assyrians. I'm the one stirring them up. I'm putting them into your life to conquer you. God was angry and upset at their sin. But all the while he's punishing them, he wants them to have hope. That's amazing to me that God, even though that we still blow it in our life, he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, to be hope for us, to overcome those sins, to save us from those. And then when you and I still fall into sin, when you and I in that moment don't live like we are followers of Christ, God still says, I'm going to give you hope, I'm going to give you peace, and I'm going, to allow, I'm going to work in your life, even if you experience some chastisement, you still experience some suffering as a result, some consequences of what you've done wrong, I still want you to have hope and not despair. I'm doing this because I love you, and I want to bring you out of whatever you're in. But you've got to have hope. Trust me. That is so astounding to me that God just reaches out in heaven to bless us and bring that peace into our life. And he wants us to experience his government, not just in the world, world order, but it begins when he, his government settles into our soul, that he becomes Lord of our life, boss, master of our little world, which is our little, I don't know, what, 10-inch circle that we live in at any given moment. We experience His government. We experience His authority. We experience His righteousness, His justice that these passages talk about through receiving Jesus' death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's when the enmity between God and us is removed. That's when the God's peace flows into our soul. We're at peace with God and we begin to experience His blessing in our life. That's when we first receive what's everlasting. That's when we receive the greatest power of God of all, you see, God demonstrates His power by dealing with our sin. His greatest power wasn't shown in making this world. His greatest power was shown when He sent His Son Jesus to die for us and overcoming our sin and death on the cross that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. That's when we experience the incredible blessing of God. And that's when you and I have not only hope in eternity, but that's when every single moment as we live during the week, you and I can have hope. Hope in the middle of that. This Christmas season, I don't know what you're facing in your life, but if you find yourself in a spot where you need hope, 
I want to encourage you to do one thing. I want you to stop, and I want you to set that aside. Sean, I can't set it aside. Okay, well, don't set it aside, but stop. In the middle of that, say, God, but I know that you're a God of hope. And whatever you're despairing over, Sean, I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. Okay, that's fair enough. Then you know what's amazing? Just ask God, God, I'm not even sure what I'm really despairing about. Would you show me? I, God has always answered those prayers for me, guys. I believe He'll answer those prayers for you when you're sincere and asking God to deal with you. God tends not to answer the prayers to deal with the other people who are being jerks in your life because you're busy complaining and talking and all of that, and God's like, yeah, you're a jerk too, and I'd really rather deal with your jerkiness right now more than I would theirs. So can we deal with you? So, but when you go to God and say, God, I'm despairing. I know I'm not trusting you. I know I'm jealous. I know I'm angry. I know I'm not responding right. God, would you help me? Show me? God always answers that prayer. And find what hope it is that you're missing in the middle of that. When the fear begins crushing in on your soul, the fear is your lack of hope. When the anger begins crushing in, your anger really ultimately is a lack of hope. You're getting mad because your resources or your turf is being maligned and all of that is coming in. You're getting angry. And you're like, wait a minute. My hope's in God. So whatever God is, whatever you are dealing with this Christmas season, I want to challenge you to find your hope in the Lord Jesus. I want to challenge you to find your hope, not just your salvation, if you have never received Christ as Lord of your life, this morning your first step of hope is receiving Him into your life to be surrendering your soul to Him to be your captain, to be your master, to be in charge of you, that He took your sins upon Him and died for you. The first step of hope for you is receiving all of that into your life. But after you have that salvation, that's a one-time thing, I'm challenging this morning to find your hope in Him. Don't be expecting it to be Christmas. Don't expect it to be other people, other situations, other circumstances. Expect it to be in God. And go to this book, because it's God's words, the treasure chest. And specifically, it's like a medicine cabinet full of medicine that literally is a miracle cure that will solve the points of issues in your world if you will but trust God and let Him work. So as our music team comes up this morning, I want to challenge you. Where this morning do you need to find hope? Sean, I, I'm not despairing. I have hope this morning. Okay. I bet you know somebody who does need hope. Are you taking them to Scripture? Are you listening and helping them walk through that? Are you providing hope for those around you? Whatever God has been kind of gnawing in your heart, your soul speaking to you, whatever has jumped out at you this morning, I want to challenge you to respond to God in that today. Pray with me, would you? Father, we're grateful for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for His salvation. Father, help us to have hope in the middle of life, not just Christmas, but day in and day out. Lord, forgive us when we despair. Forgive us when we fall into the sins and things of this world and our eyes are off of you and we lose that hope. Father, thank you that you have given us your Son and that he's the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and he's the Prince of all peace. Thank you for him. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Won't you stand? Whatever God has been speaking to you about this morning, won't you just respond to Him in prayer? If there's a decision you need to make, make that decision. Make it accountable. Write it down. Put it in your Bible. Do something, but take that next step before God today. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.